Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirituality Out Loud podcast. I am Leslie Seidel, your host and relationship expert, and this week we have Layla Sadad. Oh, Layla is a writer and a speaker whose work focuses on centering the stories, art, and magic of people of color. As the founder of Wild Mystic Woman, Layla's work explores the intersecting themes of spirituality, creativity, feminism, business, leadership, and sacred activism. I got to tell you, her writing has touched me personally, and I am so honored that I got the opportunity to talk with her today, and I was filled up so deeply with her wisdom, her honesty, and her openness on her path, and what it's like to live a spiritual life. So here she is now. Hi. Welcome, Layla. Thank you so much for being on my podcast today. I'm so excited to be here, Leslie. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as you know, we start at the beginning, which is um, when you were growing up, what do you remember about how you were raised uh, either in religion or with spirituality or how you felt or thought about that growing up? Okay. I grew up uh, Muslim. What I remember the most about it is my mother. Um, So I grew up in the UK. And it's really funny, I went to Catholic schools almost my entire childhood until I moved here to the Middle East. So I went to Roman Catholic schools, we went to mass each week, um, I knew all the hymns. And it's really interesting, I found a tape um, that my mom had recorded of me when I was about three years old. And in the tape, I keep singing this song, Welcome Baby Jesus. And just humming it to myself while playing, while reading my book. And my mom says I used to just love singing that song um, because we used to sing it at school. And she said I would come home and tell them we have to say grace before we eat. We need to say prayers. And I would tell her, you know, I'm a Christian. And and she would just, she said it was really hard for her. <laughs> this same time they really wanted um, me and my brothers to go to Catholic schools because the level level of education was a lot better so she had to work um, really hard to create an environment um, that was Islamic outside of school while helping us to not feel like the odd ones out and it was very much her job because my dad worked at sea So he would be away for months and months at a time. He would be gone six months at a time, you know, sometimes more. Um, So it was her at home creating this environment for us, teaching us about Islam, buying us these books, teaching us how to read the Quran. And at the same time, you know, when it was Christmas time, she'd still buy us Christmas gifts because she didn't want us to be to feel left out when we went into school and everyone said, what did you get for Christmas? And we were the only ones who didn't get anything. I have a couple of questions. It's a really interesting. So was it hidden? Were you told to not talk about it when you went to school? Was it just, was it just 
so I was raised with two dads. My parents got divorced and my mom remarried when I was young. And I just thought it was normal. Like I, I remember being like finding out someone else didn't have two dads. Like I felt bad for them. Mm. Right. Like, and so it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious how that was held for you. Like, you know, did she didn't, it sounds like she didn't say it was bad for you to sing those songs or to do that no, experience. I mean, the only thing that she told us was don't go up for, to receive communion. When you go to mass, just don't go up to receive communion. You can go to the mass, you can sing the hymns, you can do all those things, but don't go up to receive communion because that's not our religion. Um, and so I was, it's strange because I was always very, aware that I was different because I was always the only one sat there in the seat in the pew while everyone else was going up right and that was always a very uncomfortable moment for me mm -hmm. um I would be dreading it when it was coming and then uh eager for everyone to just sit down and so we could move on to the next bit yeah um because, you know, I was also one of the only uh, few kids of color as well. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable for me. Um, but f in terms of how my mother spoke to us about it, she just made it really clear. Look, this is our religion. This is our culture. This is how we worship. Um, she would speak to us in um, her mother tongue at home as well, in, in both Swahili and in English, so that we were surrounded by that as well. Um, and so as I was growing up, I was definitely aware that we were different, um, but not that that was bad or good. We were just different. I mean, I think, think, as, a, as a mother, yeah. I think this, that's, she, it sounds so skillful, right? Like I can see mm. the complexities of mm. doing that. And I just, yeah. I want to honor like how much work that would take and how, yeah, she, it sounds, it sounds like she did it really masterfully. Yeah. I think she, you know, it's really odd. I didn't think about how weird it was that she specifically sent us to Catholic schools until I was a lot older because she could have just not, she could have just sent us to regular school and we wouldn't have had those experiences. But for her and for my dad, it was really important for us to have to have that higher level of uh, quality of education. Mm -hmm. um, and so they just had this uh, plan, it seemed like, of how to surround us with Islam at home mm -hmm. uh, so that we knew what our identity was, we knew what our religion was. But it was only when I was 15 years old and we moved here to Qatar in the Middle East um, that I was, A, first of all, no longer in a Catholic school. I was just in an international expatriate school. Uh, we don't study religion really, um, unless you're doing it as an extracurricular activity, in which case it would be Islam that you'd be studying, right? And um, I was no longer the only uh, black girl or um, Muslim. Wow. And so suddenly I became the norm. It was normal to be Muslim. And that was, yeah, it was like a weird <laughs> culture shift for me, but very, very, uh, very, very cool. And so it's interesting because my kids are now growing up here. They go to the same school that I graduated from. And yeah, they ha they're having a completely different experience than the one that I had growing up. So there's a couple points there I'm really curious about. One, which is, you know, some people really talk about their um, the faith that they were raised with, both like it's a cultural thing, right? But mm -hmm. it, some people don't feel fulfilled spiritually by that. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you did. 
growing up? Like, was it, did you feel connected to it other than, I mean, like, yes, there's, there's two pieces, right? The cultural identity yeah. and then the spiritual feeding. And how was that for you? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think I ever, it, it, it was never entertained in my mind that there was another option. Right? So that's who we are. That's what we're surrounded with. There is no other option. This is it. And not in a bad way. It was just like, that's who we are. That's what our path is. Um, and I never felt like I, I don't want to be on this path or this doesn't resonate with me or, or I don't want to be here. But definitely as an adult and in more recent years, I began to look at different types of spirituality, um, definitely began to look more at the mystical side or the mystical messages or the deeper spiritual messages beyond just the we pray five times a day we fast once a year you know beyond those actions like what's going on at a deeper level and that's kind of where i'm at now where i have my religion and i'll still say i started to look more and just kind of getting this internal tug this internal uh, yearning for something deeper for for a more personal um, connection. And that um, kind of coincided with many different things, but it led me to exploring, first of all, goddess-based spirituality and what that was about. It led me to explore feminist spirituality and um, exploring the priestess path. And f from each thing, you know, my kind of... Um, my guiding light has been, you know, you can look at all of these things and you just take what feels right and good for you. And wow. because for, for so long, I was afraid of, I was afraid that if I um, allowed myself to look at those different paths that I would then sort of lose my way or lose my religion. Mm. Um, and it was only when I gave myself permission to say, look, you can look at all of these different things. And you don't just have to believe it just because you read it. Right. Yeah. Um, allow yourself to explore and then take what works for you, what feels right for you in your heart, and then just leave the rest. And that gave me so much freedom to um, play with so many different um, ideas and explore different practices. And I feel, I actually feel much more grounded as a Muslim, having given myself that permission. Oh, amen. Um, you know, I think you know, we had talked earlier and I, I wasn't raised with a religion, but I think that a lot of people who are part of that religion can, can be a little fear-based, a lot of religions. And, and it's kind of like, this is what we do. Don't, don't look outside of here, right? Like it's, there's some kind of really negative thing to happen if you explore. And I, I love the fact that in your exploring, you actually feel deeper. I mean, is this what you're saying? Deeper in your own religion. Yes, because I was able to start seeing what is religion and what is uh, patriarchal conditioning and mm. cultural conditioning. All right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's go. I love that. Um, okay, so what is it? What is it for you? Um, I found that, <laughs> I found that m many of the things that outwardly may look at, we have to do this, we have to do that. Um, oftentimes when it feels, for me anyway, I'm always speaking personally from my own experience, mm -hmm. when it feels like it's a should and not an invitation, mm. um, 
that there's something about that that doesn't feel quite right. Um, there's a saying in Islam that says there's no compulsion in religion, meaning to me that means anything that feels forced and feels um, uh, like you're being made to do something that just doesn't feel right or sound right is is just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there there are things that I um, released as part of that journey. Um, I used to wear the hijab um, since I was 15 years old. And one of the things that I released on that journey was the hijab. I stopped covering my hair. And that was an interesting journey in and of itself because there were a lot of things going on in my mind around that. One of the major things, well, I had two major things. One being I didn't want to disappoint my parents. Mm. And the second being um, I didn't want um, non-Muslims to see that and believe that 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 was an act of empowerment because Islam is like a patriarchal religion and therefore I was freeing myself from it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So there was a lot of other people's stuff, you know? <laughs> All men, right? Like, right? I don't know. Not- I mean, I guess men feel that way, but I, I mean, women are so focused in that arena and, and I am. And how to, how to keep li- what I hear you saying and I think is so hard in the work for me today is how do I look internally? What is my experience of this? What is my truth? Yeah. And that's what I hear you saying, right? Yeah, definitely. Because when I was able to tune in and, and ask that question, what is my truth? And have that converse, my direct conversation with the divine around that. Mm. It was, you know, you are loved and beloved and worthy, whether you're covered or not. It makes no difference, really. So the, the fear that I had around and no longer wearing it. It had so much to do with what, how other people would perceive that, what other people would think of me if I did that, how other people might use that and make something of it. Um, it, it had nothing to do with my personal intimate relationship with the divine. And so it took me about, once I realized, I, once I started getting the whispering of this is something that I want to do, it took me about six months to finally make that decision because I needed to work through all of that fear and I needed to make that decision knowing I, I fully owned it mm. and wasn't, wasn't playing into any of those um, thoughts. And, um, you know, it's it just, it is what it is, right? It's not like I'm on the other side and thinking, yes, now I'm free and liberated, right? <laughs> I've arrived, finally, the thing, <laughs> right? It has nothing to do with that. And I really took the time to make sure that I understood for myself that I was already free and liberated whether I wore it or not. Mm. And I didn't want to stop wearing it until I knew that and believed it and felt it in my body. Yeah, I... I I, I, when I look at my own culture around me, what I see is a bunch of things that we do, actions we take, symbolism that we have with no understanding of why, no depth into it. And, and so for me and my family, and you know, now I have a little one, this idea of like, why do we do this? Why do we have a Christmas tree? Why do we, mm-hmm. you know, like, and to, to question these things and to really feel into these ideas and then make a, a honest decision, right? About it, not a knee jerk 
screw you, you're doing this to me. But this is, and that's the thing that's so beautiful. You know, I, I did a lot of searching for my own spiritual and religious path. And one of them, I love the Jewish religion. And, and so I spent some time in, in that place and, you know, they wear a covering, uh, they can wear a covering, uh, women can wear a doily or it's called something which I'm not remembering right now. Um, on your head. And I, I had a friend who is Jewish and she really was showing me her religion. And, and she said, it's to be humbled before God. And, and I was like, that is, yes. Mm. It, it, it just deeply resonated with me. And we were in San Francisco and I was probably in my twenties and we were, she was taking me to her high holidays and she said, do you want to wear it? And I am 5'10 blonde, right? Like I am uh, a lot. And, uh, I put it on my head and I was immediately terrified of what other people thought and how, you know, like it was, it was about that. Like, okay, am I willing to be humble, to be wrong, to just show, you know, it, it Mm. did the job it was supposed to do. Mm. Right. Yes. Yes. And I was like, Oh, okay. Got it. And, and so I really love the fact that the idea of looking into these practices that are um, that you've been doing for so long and choosing and checking internally and 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 do you want to do this? Do you not want to do this? And and what a courageous act that is. Mm, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's hard. Yeah, and I think that the courage is not in not wearing the hijab. The courage is in knowing what is true for you and and living that despite what others may think of you whatever that is and that's why i stand so firmly in support of my muslim sisters who do choose to wear the hijab and it is very meaningful to them and um it it is a huge part of their their identity like i stand in such solidarity with them to be able to do that because I want that for all of us, that we should all have the choice uh, to be able to live our lives in the way that feels most resonant and most empowering for us. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's Mm. the message, right? There you go. Yeah. So there's one other thing I wanted to touch on and we've jumped up forward, but I just, I want to hear about the experience of, of your move out of the UK right? And into a mostly Muslim, like from becoming, from being a minority to not being a minority. It, it just mm. sounds like such an incredible life changing experience. I don't know, right? I have never had that experience. So was it, what was that like for you? And did you feel more freedom? And I mean, just like, yeah, what was it like for you? It was, um, it was really incredible. Uh, there were a few things that were really notable for me. So like I said, I grew up in the UK and I was often one of the handful of kids who were not white. I was definitely always the Muslim kid and the (laughs) the only Muslim kid in the Roman Catholic school. I remember just before we left, I think I was in year 10 and we were doing GCSEs at that point. And I had to do, we had to do religious studies. We had to study like, um, I think we're studying Mark's gospel or something. And I would, at that point, I was reading a lot around religion and I would be arguing with my teacher every time we had the lesson. And it was just very, like, I was starting to just not feel comfortable in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we came here, 
um, like I said, it was the first time that I was not a racial minority. I was, it was the first time I was not a religious minority. Mm-hmm. And we no longer had to study those subjects. And so it was very interesting because even at home when I was in the UK, you know, my family were also the only Muslims that I knew. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So to be able to suddenly have friends who were Muslims and, you know, you go in the mall and everyone's Muslim, you walk down the street and everyone's Muslim and there's mosques everywhere. And the call to prayer is uh, on the loudspeaker five times a day. Mm. Right. You know, you're in a Muslim country, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was really it felt strange at first, but it also felt like um, coming home, but coming home to something I'd never known was missing. Yes. Because I didn't, I had nothing to relate it to. And then the other thing that was really interesting was because my mom had done such a great job of creating this Islamic environment for us, making sure that we understood, you know, we don't drink, we don't, we pray five times a day, we fast. Um, so we were like really like adherent to our religion. Oh. Um, and we, we came here and our friends were a lot laid back. <laughs> <laughs> because and they didn't so have to fight for it. They didn't right? have to. So the, the prayer, the, you know, the call to prayer, we're going to be like, we have to go pray. And they were like, really? You pray? <laughs> interesting. And so that was interesting because, you know, they, like you said, they didn't have to w- work for it. You know, it was just a given. It was much more cultural for them, whereas for us, it was much more about religion. And so that was, yeah, that was just really interesting for us. I think just being able to see different types of Muslims as well, right? Yeah. Um, being able to see that truly Muslims comes in, come in all, you know, <laughs> shapes and colors. Of course. Um, and that it's normal. There's nothing odd or strange about it. To suddenly go from being the odd one out to it just being normal yeah. um, was very, it, was just, it just felt good. It felt like relief, I would say. I bet. And so I guess, I mean, this is a, this can go from both topics which is i'm curious how because you have children mm-hmm. how um are you differing and how you ra- are raising them right so they're growing up in a in in that culture and they've never had the the uk experience um and then you have expanded your spirituality right and so how has that altered how you're raising your children yeah, it's, it is interesting. I, I think, again, because we are living here, they are kind of, Islam is like osmosis, like it's <laughs> happening with osmosis, like they're seeing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things they're seeing, it's just, just a normal part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you know, my daughter is now seven. They study Islamic studies at school as mm-hmm. an option that they have. She goes to a British school, um, but they have the option for the Muslim students that they can go to Islamic studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's able to do that, which I never did in a school setting. I did it mm-hmm. only at home. Um, and we're also looking for a Quran teacher for her at the minute as well. And it's important for me that there's someone who can speak English really well. 
and is able to kind of understand where she's coming from. And so it is interesting. And I think a lot of my, you know, the things that I have been expanding into, I think they're still a bit young for me to, to talk about those things. And I feel like I'm still exploring as well. So I'm, for myself, I'm still looking for language around um, how I'm exploring kind of um, mysticism. Mm. Um, one of the things, one of the things that I'm really looking at this year is reading a lot of books around Sufism. Mm. And just because it's, it, it's able to offer the kind of, you know, I really love poetry. Mm. And it's able to offer the kind of languaging that really lands deeply in my heart. Mm-hmm. And it's from that place that I want to be able to talk to my children about um, faith and spirituality um, and not just these are, the, these are the tick box things that we do. And at the same time, I, what I really value about Islam is that at, at its core, it's about both things. It's about both, you know, we talk about divine masculine, divine feminine. Mm. You know, it's about both the structure and the routines and the um, practices and the rituals. And it's about this, the unseen mm. and the mystery and what is beyond the veil that it, it is, we just don't have the human words to, to explain. And I think having gone through the, 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 the um, journey that I've been on, it's been able to give me that language to be able to understand that my religion is both of those things. Um, I don't think I really understood that before. I think I was very much, um, I understood very much the kind of structure and the rules and the rituals, <laughs> um, but didn't, wasn't really taught the mystery side of it. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that's what I'm exploring. Yeah. I don't know if it's, um, it's just our culture today that we have now opened that, that arena. I mean, that's really the land in which I live in. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's that balance. It's so tempting to just be like, oh, mysticism and like floaty and whatever. (laughs) Right. Like, and then it's also this new deep, um, no, you have to pay your bills, show up. And there is right. a really powerful, important reason I get on my knees to pray. Yes. Right? And, and there's an, there is something to me physically surrendering all the way down that, that, that also feeds my soul, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that I'm a human being and I am spiritual. And, and the, the, the interplay of those two is the rough, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the rub, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I often say it'd be so much easier to just sit on a mountaintop and pray and mm-hmm. not be married or, you know, have children or whatever. Like that part's the, the hard part, how to be holy and, and honoring when things are hard. Uh, so yeah, I had this, uh, I told you about this earlier. One of the other um, podcasts I did is with in- India, um, Ocean Dutton, and she had really talked Indigo, about, yeah. Indigo, sorry. Um, uh, she had really talked about the idea of the transmission of how we story things, right? Mm. Here's the event and how we talk about the event really gives a lot of information. Does that, does that make sense? Like, yes. Yes. And that that's where a lot of our biases and our, our ideas come from. Like how do we hold these? I am, 
I just went on a trip and it was in San Francisco and, and, you know, there's a lot going on and there's all these people. And I, like a needle in a haystack, ran into a client of mine who I love deeply and who I couldn't have designed it if I wanted to. And for me, it was holy. It was like a wink and a nod and this like beautiful moment where I got to connect with someone who I love deeply. And instead of just being like, oh, what a coincidence, you know, mm. like there's a different hold. That's not how I hold it. Like I really hold it as like a spark for her, a spark for me. And and it was it was perfectly aligned. Yeah. So I think that I, I love that. Yeah. So I, I, go ahead. I was going to say what I'm hearing from that is this like deep reverence for life mm. and this understanding of um, below the like physical coincidences, how so much is 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 orchestrated by the divine. Um, and having a deep appreciation for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also I think that um, you're all, what I guess what, what got sparked for me is you are teaching your children your path automatically by living, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. so much of our teaching to our children is just that what they witness our, us doing. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and with Maya, my daughter, she, you know, she comes in my office. I have like tarot decks and stuff. <laughs> like she's, she's just like, what are these? I'm like, they're cards, you know, that's, that's it. And we'll talk about intuition. Um, and, and she has like, I have crystals and she, I've given her some and she, she sleeps with them and she, she uses them. And, and so it's not like a, this is like a thing that we're making a big deal out of. It's mm-hmm. just, um, wanting to have this relationship with life where everything feels um, magical, mm. where, every, where everything feels like it's a conversation with God. You know, that's where I'm, that's where I'm trying to get to. Mm. And uh, I think that's probably going to be my lifelong trying to get to. I think that's <laughs> what we're all looking for, especially as mystics. Um, is, is wanting to see and feel God in everything. And I'm, for some reason, this, this, um, this um, quote uh, from the, I think it's from the Quran or for that, from the Hadith, is coming to me. And I'm really butchering this um, quotation. He says something like, um, we should worship God as if we see him in front of us, although we can't see him, but he sees us. Mm-hmm. And he always sees us. Um, and, you know, I, I used to think about that and think about like, oh, he's watching us, you know, like big brother watching <laughs> yeah, yeah. everything you're doing. But now, you know, I see it as he's witnessing us. He's always mm. there. He's always holding us. Um, and that feels really beautiful. It doesn't feel like, you know, someone's out there trying to catch you for doing something wrong. It feels like, wow, you're never alone. Mm. Um, and that feels really beautiful to me. Yeah. It's, um, I, uh, when I work with people around these things, we talk a lot about what do you need your higher power and your God to be? And what do you need to undo? Right. What do you need to mm. no longer? And I just can't have this like really kind of mean guy. And, and, um, I hold, you know, the mothering part, the the feminine part of this idea of like, I deeply love my child and 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I get irritated and all, but like, I, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's no, there's truth to that. Um, but, but when he does something wrong, I don't think say bad. I just mm-hmm. think, Oh honey, like, that's why I told you not to do that. Right. Like right. I, I love you. Don't touch the hot stove. And, um, and, and then he may do it again. And, and so I kind of see that the same way with my higher power. And it's this, uh, this idea of like, oh, I love you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to lie. I see the fear that I, you know, the only time I lie is because I don't trust that I'm going to be taken care of. Right. Right. And, and this idea about seeing the God and everything, like, I don't know, you know, that's a, I don't know that I'll ever reach that. I, I like the idea of I'm either facing in that direction and walking towards that or walking away from that. Mm, yeah. And that allows, yeah. that allows me a little more humanity and still goal, right? Like I still do want that. And I do want that not to be a good girl and go to heaven, which mm. is deeply in my being. Like I could, oh, to undo the good girl thing. Oh, mm. but, um, but because I will be happier, joyous, and more free. Yes. Right? Yeah, I, I love the way that you describe that as, you know, walking towards it or walking away. We have this other saying that's in the Quran a lot about being on the straight path or straying from the straight path. And again, I used to think of, of it as this, like you're either a believer or you're a disbeliever. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. Um, this very binary kind of fear-based um, way of being in relationship to our spirituality and to God. And now I do see it much more in the way that you've described it. Um, I'm either walking in um, the understanding that I'm held in love mm. or I'm walking alone, think, thinking I'm alone. I'm never actually alone, but thinking I'm alone and, and therefore operating from this limited humanness. Mm. Um, thinking that I have to do everything by myself, taking it all on. Um, and then just being the, just being the flawed human that I am. Right. Mm. Um, and for me getting back on that straight path, isn't about getting back on doing all of the, uh, tick box things like a good girl. Um, but it's turning back to face God and realizing, Hey, you know, I was always here. (laughs) is here Uh, you can relax you can drop all of that and just come back and just surrender and and there's something you know I used to have a really hard time with the word surrender um the word yeah the word Islam itself means to submit or to surrender and because of patriarchal conditioning you know I really thought of that as you know become this um it, it felt very uh shaming yeah it didn't feel uh, like something that was powerful um and now it it really does feel very powerful to be able to relax and say i can't do this like can you please take over here i don't want to be able to i don't want to like carry the world on my shoulder and there have been times especially in the last year where you know i've been speaking a lot on tough subjects around race around justice and inequality and there have been times where my faith have been really tested where I felt like, you know, what is the point in this? There's just too much to overcome. Mm. And 
in those moments, I realized when you can't carry it anymore, the only place you can turn is back to God. Mm. Because that's the only place where you'll find grace. It's the only place where you'll find the ability to be able to forgive or to have patience or to have compassion or to, um, yeah, just to, to call on higher attributes that then are available to you in that moment and so for me to be able to say look i i don't know what to do i don't it's too hard um it's, it's too much and it's too painful tell me what to do or just hold this hold this for me has been it's been the only place i can turn there's no person in the world that can tell me what to do in those situations um and and it's in those places that i've begun to learn just how important it is for me to have faith in a higher power uh, beyond beyond hu- just human beings. Yeah, I um, I've witnessed a fraction of what you've gone through this year, and um, I I don't know that I could do it, right? Mm. And I have deeply prayed for you, makes me tear, and I've held you um, from afar and rooted you on and um and yeah there i think that experience i mean yours happened to be pretty public and but that experience of hitting a rock bottom an emotional um mental physical whatever bottom where you're like i can no longer do this i need help mm. is um to finding the space where that is actually providing you deep strength like that's actually the the beautiful that's the harder thing to do I'm, i i don't know how the words fail in this arena so much <laughs> I hear you're, you you're the writer yeah. you're the poet <laughs> i hear you and and that has been the um that has been the saving grace of everything mm. <laughs> is to is is to know what it is to really need God, yes. um, to really need um, a, a higher power, something, something infinite and limitless, um, because my patience isn't limitless, <laughs> and right, my compassion isn't limitless, and wow. there's been many times where I've had to say, I can't engage with certain people, I can't put myself in these situations because it's too painful and it's too hard, and it's in in those moments that i that i have turned to god and it's also in that in those moments that i've seen god working through people mm. uh for me mm-hmm. on my behalf like you said you know people praying for me from afar who i don't even know you know have never connected with um people sending me um paypal donations people sending gifts to my kids and and all all manner of things and you know that's God to me too. That's the, and that's grace, and that's. I think for so many, you know, I'm not an activist. I, I'm a writer. But when I think about activists and and the struggles that they uh, are going through mm-hmm. and have gone through historically, and I think about how did they keep on going in the face of all the hatred and the face of the brutality and the violence and, you know, real violence, bodily, physical violence. Mm. How did they not just give up and say, it's not worth it. 
-hmm. How did they, um, you know, how did um, Harriet Tubman and, and Tubman and, and Sojourner Truth say, we're going to keep working towards a, a future that we have never seen, mm -hmm. but we believe is possible. And, we're, we're, and we don't even know if it's possible in our lifetime or, you know, um, the next coming lifetimes so where we're still going to keep going. And for me, that's God mm -hmm. um, that gets them that strength and that grace and that courage to keep going. Um, and I'm just getting, I'm just doing a, a very fraction of that, you know, very, very small, not even. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's astounding to me, you know, and it's very beautiful to me. And that's, very nourishing to me and and when i don't take the time to step back and allow myself to surrender to that and to sink into that that's when i burn out and that's when i become pessimistic and cynical when i notice that that's happening then i'm like i need to step back here <laughs> I, and, and, I mean and that's holy too right i mean that's mm. the dance that's holy too. There are times which you get to speak your truth in such a way that then people get altered. And even if it's one person, it's still the work, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Like I have all these grand ideas and I'm going to do this podcast and everyone is going to explode in this, whatever, right? And, and then I just relax and be like, I am being deeply, deeply affected and moved by this podcast every single time I do it. Yes. And maybe that's the only reason. And then there's one other person that called and said, Oh my God, that was moving to me. Thank you. Mm. Right. And, and it doesn't, I don't, it, I don't, it's easy to like, want to be that, you know, the perfect <laughs> person that's going to do a big job. What I can tell you is that your work has changed my life. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't going to go there. So we're not supposed to talk about this. So I can, I can just tell you that that is true for me. And, and, and also the watching you step back has been beautiful too of like, yes, there you go. Yes. I need to step back. I, you do what you can. And I think we all, I used to work in bereavement and, and in, in hospice and when people were dying and, I would tell people that and they were always kind of horrified by that. Like, Oh my God, how do you do that work? And gee, ah. and it wasn't, it was hard, right? It, it, it had a price. It had a deep price, but it wasn't too hard. Mm. Right. Like it wasn't so hard that I couldn't keep going. And there was mm. a lot of beauty in it, and a lot of just magic and deep, deep magic in it. And so I think that we all, if we all do our own personal work and keep showing up and stretching just a little outside of our range, then that's enough, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it's all hard. It's all hard. Right. And so, um, in in where i have taken great nourishment from is seeing how for so many people who've done work that's important to them whether they be, became you know a, a cultural icon or or, <laughs> or not right mm -hmm. what what i have noticed is that having a, a deeply intimate relationship with a higher power however they describe that mm. has been 
uh, hugely uh, influential and um, nourishing for them. Um, and I have found that for myself as well, that it drives my purpose. My religion and what we believe in my faith around justice, around equality, around, um, you know, standing up for those who uh, cannot stand up for themselves, you know, all of those kinds of things come from my religion, mm. come from what I have been taught from a young age, um, and also come from my own intimate relationship with God. Um, and so my purpose is driven by that, even when it becomes very, very hard. Mm. Um, and, and then that stepping back is always a call inwards. It's, it's always for me, uh, you know, I'll notice it when it no longer feels like I'm being of service. It feels like I'm just uh, crapping on everyone, basically. <laughs> when I've got, when my ego's engaged and I'm doing it and it's all right. about me and right. I've got an agenda. Right. When it feels like, you know, I, I truly believe that anger is holy and rage is holy, yes. but when it feels like it's no longer that anymore, it's destruction and the destruction has no purpose. Other than destruction, yeah. um, that's when I know I need to pull back um, and reassess and, and just rest um, and remember. And those quiet times are, I think, the most important times for me. I, I think without those times, I, I'm not able to write, not able to process, um, not able to be of service, really. And so that, that solitude and that time alone and, and, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, Prophet Muhammad and how he would go off into the caves by himself and meditate. And, you know, this was before he received the message of Islam and nobody knew why he was always going off into the caves by himself. And they thought it was so weird. Yeah. And um, it was from that, that revelation came to him in the cave. Yeah. Um, and so it, solitude is, is just, is a deeply spiritual practice. And I think it's so important for, for, for all of us. Yeah. Amen. Mm. Um, we are totally over time. And I, <laughs> um, I just, but I want to continue to talk to you. So, okay. So maybe I'll have you back. Maybe we'll figure out some excuse. I don't know. Uh, more will be revealed. <laughs> I do want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time out to telling us your experience and, um, and your vision and um, all of the ways in which she, you can A, support Layla, find Layla, read more about her. If this is uh, what is calling to you, will be in the liner notes. I highly recommend becoming a patron of hers. Please feel free and call to go uh, check you out. And I just thank you again for sharing so deeply and so honestly about your experience. Mm, thank you so much. And, and thank you for praying for me and for allowing um, my words to enter your heart. You know, I'm just being, I'm, I'm being used and I'm saying yes to my calling. And I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful when I see others saying yes to their calling as well. So, thank yeah, you. you're welcome. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spirituality Out Loud. Be sure to rate us, review us, and like us on Facebook, and share us with your friends.